Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Dr. Tanisha Singleton. Dr. Singleton is a media psychologist, creative strategist, a speaker, and sports entertainment professional with an expertise in fan engagement, digital communication, and consumer intelligence. Now she's here today because I think she can offer a lot of advice on team culture to the PPC players, parents, and coaches from a completely different point of view. Dr. Singleton, thank you so much for joining us here on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, so now one of the things that I definitely want to talk to you about is the whole name, image, likeness opportunities that Mm -hmm. college athletes can take advantage of and, you know, and, and things that could happen to a team culture because of this, not only on the college level, but even now we're seeing it spill into the high school level as well. Totally. But Dr. Singleton, my first question for you is how did you end up doing what you're doing today? It's it's such a good question, and it's like it makes me think. Okay, what am I doing? <laughs> because I'm doing so much, but I think um, the first thing is that I've always been a sports fan. I've always been embedded in this culture, and it's really just a lifestyle. I'm 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 a, I'm a fan. I'm always a fan. I'm a fan of a lot of different things. And within my household where I grew up, you know, I remember some of the first and early experiences I have in dealing with um, and just seeing, experiencing community and how much it kind of means and how sports is sometimes at the root of that for certain groups. Um, My family big boxing house love boxing um they love all sports and so my parents kind of were the the party house right so when there was a big mike tyson fight going on all their friends would come over to my house right and my parents would always have the fights on and so i would just see so much camaraderie and just so much everyone glued to this one single experience but everybody's hyped everybody's got an opinion they're talking you know and all of this stuff and i remember i was like five six years old and i would grab my brother's tube socks and put them on my hands and like start punching a pillow when when there was ever a boxing fight going on and they're like oh go tuny go because i just loved i was like i want people to shout for me like that like i want to do what that guy did like i'm i want to be cool i want to be in and so i just loved sports and i played everything that they allowed me to growing up and but I also just was really into communication I loved storytelling and I remember one of the first gifts that I got for Christmas was that talk boy do you remember I think it was from like Home Alone and it's like a cassette thing that goes on your hand and it's a recorder and it would change the pitch of your voice when you can record um, on cassette tapes and stuff and I remember I had that and it was the best gift I think I ever got at the time besides all of my WWF action figures you know from that I got in the 80s and 90s that I still have <laughs> by the way um and i always wanted to, to to be in media in some way shape or form but sports was always you know the pulse of all of that and so when i went and scouting for colleges and stuff i knew i was going to be involved in a radio television and film program somewhere i went to uc santa cruz division three basketball i played but you know no one really cared at that time i would have played i got some scholarships to play division two at a few universities but hindsight i would have taken some of them but 
Um, my dad didn't want me to go out of state and go that far. So I went to Santa Cruz, had a good time. It was amazing. Um, worked at KZSE, the radio station up there. Always wanted to get involved with media. But fast forward, I go to San Diego State. Played a little there, loved basketball. It's a big town, um, great sports city, and did my master's in screenwriting and new media production. Moved to L.A. as one does, and when you're doe-eyed and in your 20s and think you can take over L.A. and entertainment, um, I got a wake-up call very quickly, (laughs) and after about a dozen years there, I realized something was changing in the industry, and I didn't want to get left behind, and I I realized how I was a sports fan had changed. And because now I'm always, I'm live tweeting games. I have to have my pocket 24 seven digital sports bar around, right? That being Twitter for me, right? And a lot of people, I recognized it was changing. I started doing social media management and like running Twitter and Facebook accounts for like the Key Club and the Viper and stuff on Sunset Boulevard and all those things. And then I realized, you know, something's changing. And so I discovered this media psychology program uh, at Fielding Graduate University, which is where um, I immediately entered and went all in to get my doctorate, my PhD in psychology with an emphasis in media. And I studied the sport experience. Um, I wrote my dissertation about digital fandemonium, and I wanted to see how the... Um, integration of social and digital media impacts the game. And I really wanted to study and get a measurement to see, yeah, the experience is greater than the game. And I love the sport experience. And so that has all just um, fueled and prepared me um, to be in this space within sports and entertainment to do media research and development, to help brands and businesses with community engagement, to help you know, also help athletes themselves um, in terms of PR and business opportunities and figuring out how to, you know, instill your own brand identity and your presence and what does that all kind of mean for nonprofits and profit. So that's kind of a long-winded way of saying, like, since I took my brother's tube socks and made turned them into boxing gloves, that somehow helped <laughs> me get a PhD in this and really just help, you know, inform the design of 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 how we have to navigate in this space because media psychology that's all about looking at those patterns between media consumption and human behavior what are those dynamics of the human experience and how can that help us be a little predictive how can that help us create solutions being innovative and using technology as a tool a utility not as a replacement um, of human connection but with something that actually augments and strengthens it well I used to take my brother's tube socks, too, and put them Mm -hmm. on my hands, but I didn't punch a pillow. I actually punched my brother. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think he got a body shot, too, every now and then. Right, exactly. But but here's the thing, though, and this is why I think you're great for the podcast. It's because, you know, when you're talking about a brand, right, Mm -hmm. even on the high school level, right, when you're a coach of a high school basketball team, when you're the coach of a college team, right, that's your brand, right? You got to protect yeah. the brand, you know, guys. And whether it's in the school district, you want to take it, spread it out that wide, or mm-hmm. just within the bounds of, you know, your practices and your games and the way your team carries itself. Yes, that's your brand, correct? Absolutely, it is how you carry yourself. It is the brand. It's not what you say about yourself. It's what others say about you, and what they say about you is determined on what you put out. It's the image that you present. It's the reputation that you have. It's, you know, some we can say like, oh, Nike, just do it and all of those things. But the brand experience, that is defined by the consumer, 
by onlookers. And it's that feeling. And you can help yourself, right, by having clear initiatives, having clear values, having um, something that everybody is on board with, not just something that you put on the, you know, the company refrigerator on a magnet or something, but actually something that you can illustrate and that you can say, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. And that happens at every level. Absolutely. High school, too. And, and, and the thing is, and you mentioned it in, in the beginning of your story, when you were going, taking us through the backstory, you said there was this community of, of mm. people who would come over to watch the Tyson fights at your, yeah. at your house. You said the word community. And think about it, you know, because as soon as you said that, I go, I go, that's high school sports, right? That's yeah. college sports. It's that community, you know, Absolutely. that that forms because of the sport. So there's your, you know, anybody who's listening, it's just, you know, and if you played high school or if you have kids who are playing high school or college or whatever, and it doesn't even matter. Or, I mean, I have a son who's in a the theater. That's a, mm-hmm. there's a theater community. I mean, yes. there's a community tied to whatever it is that you're involved in. It's passion. Right. And then the next question is, is it a healthy community mm-hmm. or is it toxic? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and so, how, like, you know, and, and you mentioned part of the, I think part of the reason, you know, the thing that goes into this is, you know, it's not just a refrigerator uh, right. magnet, right? It's mm-hmm. it's living it, right? It's the passion. How does somebody get to build that healthy community? You know, one of the things I did was, of course, I was creeping on you before we talked today. <laughs> and I saw you on another podcast and you said, this is a quote from you, community is the ingredient of culture. Culture is what you stand for, what you value. Can you please explain to us what that means? Mm-hmm. It's, um, I forgot even which show I, I, I said that on, so I'm glad you, you brought it up. Because, yeah, it's what you stand for in community. It's so, it, of course, like you said, too, earlier, the there's good and bad, right? But one of the things we have to recognize is that communities, we have to look at them within the context that they're built, Right. Being an NBA fan in that community in the 90s is a hell of a lot different than it is today because we have so much more afforded to us and at our disposal. So if we're talking about that's this is when you get that, like, get off my lawn kind of stuff. Right. Because you didn't have it. So that means it must not be as great as as the other or something like that. But those ingredients, that is that that is the value. And it's all about just creating that skeleton of what you stand for and being able like this is our product or this is our service. But more than that, products and services come and go all the time. But what doesn't have an expiration date is experience how something made you feel that experience I had when I was a kid still got it now I'm now I'm the one replicating it people coming over my house for the game for the fights right did that over the weekend Wilder and Fury um so those once you have that skeleton of this is who we are this is what we stand for that's when we're able to I think add the muscle which is the culture that's when you get the vibe that's when you get the colors that's when you get the flavor and that though that and it becomes this walking lifestyle from that skeleton and communities each have their own that are very very distinct and that's why when we're looking at them what context are we talking about right and the toxicity and the good and the bad sure we can argue about that all day long and the but we, it is very us versus them there is a lot of tribalism that goes involved in that and that's nothing new right like we've been telling stories since before the wheel we've been battling each other and good versus bad and us and them like that's just humanity and so 
what happens though is we and you also have communities of inheritance right like you just you're born and raised in LA most people are Lakers fan they're just born into it um, then you have the communities that you know you don't even necessarily like get to choose and just like who you are like I'm a black woman this is my community right I inherited this this is who I am and throughout all of that though you still just have to have like those values within you like what are you standing for like what what is what 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 intention are we doing here and i think it's it's hard for people to do that because that's hard work right self-auditing analysis awareness that critical thinking that's all very very hard so a lot of people just autopilot and like la 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 they just go around all day but whenever we have to look at get a, get a reflection like what are we doing here matching those values with action that's hard and I think one of the things that is troubling so many people right now is because social media at our disposal, everybody's keeping receipts. So if you say you're about something and illustrate something else, people will show you, like, um, excuse me, <laughs> there's a disconnect here. You said you were for Black Lives Matter, but then you supported this guy. What would go on? Explain. Right. So there's just that is that is the problem now. And people don't. I think a lot of people don't it's hard work so they don't want to actually see the connection or believe that they have the control there we are so much more capable than we give ourselves credit for we have much more agency than we give ourselves credit for we have we are able to control a lot of the things that we um that are around us and if we look at our communities memberships roles who regulating from within that's something that locker rooms we always hear that right locker rooms will regulate itself and fix itself communities can do that too um but it's it again it just kind of takes that um it takes that self-audit to just look internally and see like what those values are what are your ingredients for that community and then the culture that is that's how that's the walking of it that's walking how you you know walk it like you talk it kind of thing. I think well, that's when, what the kids when, say. Yeah, when, <laughs> when I heard you say that, you know, my, my thought was when you said ingredient, I'm like, that's perfect because I'm always, like I said, I'm always talking about the PPC, the players, the parents, and the right. coaches. To me, those are the ingredients, right, that go into a good culture. I, I, everybody everybody has, a, has a part. But before we go there, I want to ask you this. Think back to your playing days. What was the culture like on the teams you played for? Did, did culture ever come up? Was Because it, it, it just seems to me like the talk of team culture and positive psychology and things like that mm-hmm. that apply to, to sports today, we, you know, and the, of course the mental health factor. I sure. mean, you know, we, we didn't hear about any of this, you know, I'd say 10, 20 years ago. But take me back to your teams. Mm-hmm. What would you, was the culture good? And if it was, what was good about it? It was, it in the moment and the time, it it felt fine. In hindsight, I could see that could have been a lot better, <laughs> right? It was a lot of the inmates running the asylum, so to speak. Not like we're all inmates, but it was the students, it was the players running practices, running drills. We didn't have a lot of adult coach leadership. It was a lot of just go out there do something and just work harder and you know it was a lot of the upperclassmen you know kind of leading things which i appreciated and i like in that part i do like in hindsight because it's showing like already 
um, instances of leadership. And we're seeing that, you know, from the juniors and the seniors. And I was a freshman on varsity playing basketball and volleyball because um, I was already like 5'10 um, at like 14. I'm like six feet now, almost 6'1". Um, so I like already was like 5'10 at that time. They're like, yeah, you're on varsity. I'm like, okay. Um, and the I grew up in Riverside, California, and it wasn't a bad neighborhood or anything but the high school culture just what it just wasn't a great experience anyway like there was a lot of violence on campus and in the community and in the neighborhood at the time a lot of police brutality in the neighborhood so there was already just a lot of tension and everyone that was on my basketball teams black and brown and so there was just already a very racial um uh, kind of tension within within some of that because it was always the girls of color and our coaches predominantly weren't so there was a lot that just not being able to communicate right you know and that's something that the work that I'm doing with Black Girl Hockey Club like we're trying to you know obviously kind of help and educate um, and bring awareness to some of the toxicity and some of the extra attention that needs to happen in order to correct the game and make it better for everyone at all ages particularly black girls and girls of color um, but back then the culture it was it could it definitely needed an overhaul I mean after I graduated they shut the high school down because there was just nothing that great about it <laughs> but um, even some of the other communities like you talked about your son being in theater I was also a band nerd and I you know was kind of like this get along gang I hung out with the jocks I hung out with the band people I hung out with the Backstreet Boy fans I hung out with the pro wrestling fans I hung out with the goth kids I kind of sat at that everyone's table at the lunch table if you look thinking of that meme where like where would you sit and but I remember the worst experience that I had and it made me feel I felt like I was almost racially and culturally um motivated to do this was I don't know if you've heard this on some of the other episodes that I've been on but the my band director gave me an ultimatum he said sports or music and I was really good <laughs> at saxophone I was re- I don't you know flex a lot but I was really good at alto and he didn't want me to, and I was a good kid I had 4.0, 4.0 grade point average I had a part-time job too I played sports like I was a good kid and I was like hey why why do you want me to do this like why why would you make me give me that ultimatum and why would you make me switch to tenor like I ain't trying to play tenor I'm an alto <laughs> um, and he was like nope sports music so I quit band and I did sports sports 100% and this is also the same year the WNBA started so I was like I never even thought you know this was even an option of being able to to play professionally so I was like yeah you can take your little neck brace and yeah I'm done with music then and that was just I mean I'm 38 now this is over 20 years ago and it still pisses me off because now that instrument is still in my parents garage collecting dust I never picked it up again um but that's just something how important coaches and leadership is for adults when dealing with youth, especially like youth development at this stage, high school. Are you kidding? Like 20 years later, and I'm still bitter about this and petty. And but so that's a culture that, that did not reflect, you know, the any type of empowerment, any type of um, positive psychology or the well-being for kids at this stage. It, you know, that's the opposite of of culture. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because even as you were talking about it, that's what I'm thinking of. You know, if you have a if you have a coach who's not connecting with the players, like we talk about this all the time. And honestly, to me, you know, I mean, it's it's about it shouldn't be about you know I'm Polish, you're mm-hmm. Italian, you're the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, it we're you know it it comes down to people. 
I mean, treating yes. people and connecting with people because in the end, we all want the same things. And everybody's different. And I think, and we hear, I've heard it so many times on this podcast that, you know, it really the onus falls on the coach, right? Totally. And, there, and here's a perfect example with you. To give you an ultimatum at such a young <laughs> age to me yeah. is just so unfair. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, I, yeah. I mean, you know, if you have two, like my my thinking is, okay, what if the other sport you were good at, you know, was uh, softball or something? Mm -hmm. Do you think you would have been given that ultimatum then? I don't know. You know, was did this yeah. guy just have something? You know what I mean? Was, you know, yeah. But but to me, I'm I'm always about build people up. Yeah. You know? And 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 so this is what we talk about all the time. I talk about you know finding roles for for your players, the coaches, you know, yes. that communication and you said it, it really comes down to the communication, you mm -hmm. know, especially on the high school level. And then, you know, it, it, it filters into the college level because, and, 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 and we say this a lot, like there are, not every kid's going to be comfortable going to the coach and right. talking. So can you talk a little bit about like, like the communication from the coach? What, okay, if you could go back and talk to that coach who, who gave you mm -hmm. that ultimatum, what would you recommend he, he do in that situation that probably would have provided a better outcome for you? Yeah, you know, I would have gone. That was the the band director, you know, that gave me that ultimatum and stuff. Because um, I also played volleyball and basketball at, at a high level in high school, and I would go back to that band director who gave me that ultimatum and was like, "What?" And just and ask because I didn't. I was just angry. Probably just cried and ran away. But um, you were young though. Yeah, you I was were like so 14, young. Fifteen. Yes. I would ask like, "What have I done to make you feel like I can't balance this?" And like, let's make some metrics of success here. Like, let's say like, what do you need from me? And what? And as soon as I illustrate that I can't provide that, and I can't contribute at the high level that you need as somebody to be first chair in this woodwind section, then we can talk and I can say, yes, you know what? This is too much. I will pick one. I will back down, right? Um, but give me a chance. And I think that's, like you said, so many kids, especially at that age, don't have those words yet. Like, give me a chance. The biggest thing, even my biggest issue is being a disappointment. And to this day, that's just the one thing I'd never want to be to those that are important to me is a disappointment. And my coaches, I should look up to. I should not want to disappoint them. And that he ended up just making me feel like, well, well, fine, well, go after yourself, right? Like it was the opposite of respect. And so at that stage, then, yeah, I could start to see how I developed this pattern of, okay, when a coach or a director or somebody in leadership comes around, I'm not even going to give them an opportunity to to have my respect like I'm already starting them at zero and so then I can only be impressed instead of the other way around right and it's like okay this is the coach I'm going to respect him and do what he says right it's it was the other way around so like you said yeah it just having communication is so key and recognizing that they we're kids and sometimes not everybody has a good thing at home Sometimes we never know what's going on with people. We're humans. And something I always say, regardless of whatever industry you know I'm talking about or with clients and stuff, it's we're in the people business. And it sounds so duh, but I think we're in such a back-to-basics part of our life right now as people that 
it it bears repeating and saying so it behooves us to understand people understand our you know human dynamics and like what motivates us and stuff because it's not getting easier for anyone and it's yeah it's just a shame that there are some people who will you know just think of it as a job or something as opposed to an opportunity to really empower and connect and build community because i think that's the greatest thing you know that we can do there's a lot of nasty going on outside so the least we can do is find a space for ourselves to be joyous and feel like we're contributing to something greater and shared that's our minimum yeah you should you should make it a place that the kids want to come to every day and be a part of i didn't yeah and and see and here's the thing to me you know, listening to your story, to, that was a form of bully coaching that totally. that band director totally displayed. You know, and and this is the thing that that I would love to 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 get away from because you know, and part of the reason that I, you know I do this is because I had my confidence crushed by a by a coach when I was in ninth mm. grade, and you know, and I vowed to never let that happen <laughs> to my kids. You know, but you know, like when I, you know when I was coaching, I would I vowed I would never do that to a kid, and so you know, and I think I did I did my best. You know, to I, I mm-hmm. never you know I was always so positive. You know, with with the kids, and 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 to me, it just seemed simple. You know, and, and and not that I'm an expert or anything. I was just doing it the way I thought it should be done. You know, because yeah. I even had parents would say, "Are you like a first grade teacher?" And I'm like, "No, I'm like I'm just some dope that works in TV." I'm just trying like, to do know. it. You know, but um, but but you know, to me, you know, that's really like like for the adults to understand. Like, yeah, they're kids, but you don't need to tell them how to do it and what to do and did it. But you could talk to them, make them a part feel of the conversation. Yeah. Make, yes, let them feel like they're heard and that what they say and what they feel matters. And oftentimes, yeah, it's just listening, you know? And it's like the first, it's like going back to when I, you know, was in studying screenwriting and stuff. And it's like writers don't write first, writers listen, you observe. And I think teachers have to employ a little bit of that as well. And I remember I had a fantastic history teacher who would come see me play volleyball. And I wore 91 for Dennis Rodman because um, I loved him, still do. I, you know, dyed my hair a lot. I liked tattoos. I liked wrestling. And that was, you know, after he won, you know, I think they were in the finals in like 97. And then he goes on WCW. And I was like, oh, like Rodman was my dude. So I wore 91. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to serve. And I, and I hear like, let's go Rodman. And I look over and it's my history teacher. And I was like, ah. Like I just, that I mean I still I mean goosebumps I remember that exactly I remember my favorite basketball coach taking me aside because when I was younger everything came so easy because I was always the biggest I was always tall so I didn't have to, I felt like I you know it was just like oh easy I just box out I throw it up lay up cool um, and then when I got to high school and older and then I realized there was other girls this, getting my size and I was like hmm it wasn't easy for me anymore and he took me aside and was like look pivoting box out here you go jump don't forget to jump right like i'm just raising my arms up like i used to when i was a kid because that was all i needed to do at the time now yeah folks are your height too your size too they called me she shack and he was just like watch shack just make your free throws do everything he does but make free throws and that was what i did and i wore 32 um because this is when you know orlando magic days like penny was my first basketball jersey and then um, I loved Shaq because they were like, here, just you're a five, you're the center, watch Shaq. Do what he does, just make your free throws. And that one-on-one stuff is is where, where the best moments. 
It was never a team drill. It wasn't layup lines or anything like that. It was those one-on-ones where I felt like the coach saw me and looked at what I physically could bring and my own potential inside. That's the stuff that made me play harder um, were those individual moments. And that's what I just hope that we continue to see at least more of. Because, yeah, like you said, that's just caring. You know, that's just caring. You, you can't get in it. this business without wanting to. Like, God forbid, there's just too many that are just doing it for the gas money check, right? Because I know it's not a lot. So it's, you just got to care to get in this business. Well, but I think the, the other thing too, okay, and you said it. You said the coach saw me. And here's, here's why this is important. It's because I think when, when a culture goes bad and we've again, we've talked about this on the podcast in, in previous episodes. But when to me, when a culture goes bad, a lot of times it's because the coach gets so focused on wins and losses yeah. that, that they lose they lose sight of what this is really about. And when when you refocus on on the kids and the culture, your team, their families, what's going on at home. And you can see when they walk in the door, you can look at them and say, something's not right. Mm-hmm. And you walk over and say, what happened? You know, whether it's I got an F on a test or I just broke up with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It all matters. And it all comes into play. And like you said, then when your history teacher is yelling, hey, Rodman, <laughs> from the stance, I mean, it all comes together. And now you'd run through a wall for your history teacher, oh, right? Oh, my God. Still would. You know Heck what yeah. I mean? And, and, and so I just, you know, and I, and I don't mean to simplify it. And I don't, I don't, you know, and the other thing is, you know, oh, kids are softer to stay. I don't know. I just think Mm-mm. that it just, to me, it makes sense to, to, like you said, to care. You have to care a little bit about everybody, yeah. right? And it's maybe, I don't know if, I don't think we're softer. And I hate when people say that now and, you know, with the, um, just with the more, comfort or confidence people are having in speaking about their own mental health and bringing up that awareness. I absolutely love that. We need that because is is there an older generation that wasn't privy to to it? Absolutely. And that's probably where there's some, huh, right? Um, but I remember speaking with somebody else um, and who's a Taekwondo coach and he, we were, and we were in, in DC Parks and Rec um, and we were talking about just even within the black community and how much that is a stigma that we're internally in this community is still kind of dealing with because we have to recognize that there's so much privilege attached to like liberal arts, media, sports. For some, for a lot of us, our parents' generation, I remember even my mom even telling me this, it's like, hey, I just want you, I just need you to survive so you can worry about being happy later. Okay, and that is just such a delaying process and a sad thing. Luckily, they empowered me and and gave me all of my confidence. It was like, yeah, you want to wear your wrestling shirt, you want to do radio, you want to do media, you want to do sports. Cool, we'll help you. Just I'll I'll be praying for you because you know, as opposed to you know forcing kids to okay, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be something that's going to be stable. So there's so much of a pivot I think in generations like being able to be employed in ha- in the arts and in tech and in sports being able to fulfill our passions and then also like versus those in that other lane where we didn't even get the opportunity and have the resources to do so or even f- entertain ourselves into thinking about doing that because there's too much other responsibility that kids have and it's so it's hard so it's not so much like 
us simplifying it because some of it is like we we convolute things and we make things harder than they are in some instances um but that's also a very real perspective too that this you know mental health and wellness like we need to be able to have a diverse inclusive outlet for our kids um kind of at all levels because it's it's not easy we observe children observe a hell of a lot more than than we you know than we think well, and I want to talk about each particular segment of players, parents, and coaches, the PPC. And I want to start since we're right here on the coaches. Mm-hmm. And and to me, I think if, you know, part of when I was coaching, I always kind of had in the back of my mind, what would they go home and tell mom and dad? <laughs> what would they t- say, you know, when the, you know, 10 years from now about me as a coach, mm. you know? And I think if coaches you know, always kind of kept that in the back of their mind. I think that might, that might help. I'm not saying, you know, like I said, I don't know, like, you know, everybody's different, but, but I think that would help. And one of the things you, you say is you, you, you say you, you talk about matching values with Mm -hmm. action. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. Right. And so if you value what your players or your students, if you're a teacher, or your your employees, if you're a mm-hmm. boss, if you value what they are going to say about you when they walk out the door that okay. day, a week from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if you value that, mm-hmm. then your, your the culture of your team should be at the forefront, not wins and losses, because like you say, you it's all about matching values with action can you mm-hmm. talk about this please yeah it's it's leading from the front right and it's the opposite of what urban meyer has done in jacksonville <laughs> basically it is the opposite right and it's definitely i i totally agree i think if coaches cared about what someone would say about them now and even in the future at any level then definitely they probably would be a bit more conscious and intentional with their behavior are you doing what you need to do to fulfill the intention of your work and your work is coaching and building a culture in youth sports are you doing that and are you making sure that grades are in order that the that the kids feel empowered do you know what each of their passions are human beings we are under the influence of our passions Everything that we are passionate about completely fuels what we do, what we behave, how we behave, everything that we do. And coaches, if we if we recognize anyone in a leader in a position of leadership, if we recognized that everything that we do and the the example that we set that matters. I remember my senior year. I mean, my Spanish teacher was having an affair with the auto body guy while she's married with the principal. And so I remember, you know, when you have like a high school fight and everybody runs and you don't know what's going on and you just go, ah, and then you run over there. So I remember that happened once and we ran over there and then I was expecting to see like, you know, my classmates. Instead, I saw the principal rolling around the ground with the auto body guy. And I was like, oh, nice example. Right. Good principal. Yay. Right. So. I knew, and like all, all of our coaches and everybody else is just like, mm-mm-mm, just like sipping their coffee with God knows what's in it. <laughs> and like, this is my high school. So I was like, oh, 
we never had a chance but i remember yeah like you said it's not about those wins and losses it's the experience so we lost a lot we lost more than we won but i remember those one-on-one instances i remember coach erickson who was the one who like set me aside teaching me how to um you know box out pivot foot no look passes told free throws I remember those one-on-one things, and that experience to me is greater than the win-loss records because he showed me he cared. And that, in an environment where my teachers and principal are on the dirt rolling around, he stood out because that was somebody who actually cared. So he stuck out in the good way because that, you know, that showed me his level of commitment. And, you know, it's... So it's definitely, I think, that intentionality, I think, is where the matching values with action is. Recognizing that nothing you do is should be an accident. Everything should be very, very conscious, very, very intentional. And if not, why are you in this business? Because it can't be for the money. So it's like, what else are you trying to do? If you're going to be in youth development and youth sports, then give a little, you know, and care a little bit and make sure that the things that you're doing is fulfilling the intention of your work and what and just remembering what is your work it's these kids it's empowering them it's not about wins and losses i remember in all of you know a bunch of the losses that we had he was like yo you you remember that no look pass that you did where'd you learn that from it's that it's those moments on the bus ride home that i remember and i was like oh my god do you remember this and then drawing up things and 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 learning like what to do next time because we will always lose not every day is going to be a W. So how do you react? And those are things that my great coaches and my history teacher back then like taught us. So like, yeah, you'll take some L's, but what can we learn from this? That to me is that's matching values with action because that stood out in a complete environment of chaos. <laughs> those good moments. And I think that's what coaches and people in leadership need to essentially remember. So I think this sets us up now for the for the second part of this, the parents. So mm. that happens with Coach Erickson at practice, right? Yep. When you come home, what are you what are you telling mom? What's it, you know about Coach Erickson and this positive yeah. experience, or when she's at the game, or my or dad's mm-hmm. at the game, and they say we're like, wow, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Now it's going to spill into home, right? We're building totally. a community here, right? Goes right back home. You're right from the from the the gym now into the dining room table um both of my parents worked full-time jobs and so the schedule was always kind of odd and they didn't get to go to a lot of my games because they both worked full-time um but when they were able to go um i remember they're like oh is that coach e like coach erickson and so just i remember because i would go home and kind of and praise him right or i remember they bought me one of those you know you fill it up with water basketball hoops for your driveway and they would watch me do that and it's like oh who taught you that i'm like oh remember like coach he told me this and look Shaq did that in the game remember we when he boxed out like vlade and blah blah um and so like oh cool so then i remember i'm being so happy doing that introduction once when my dad finally got to go to a game because they wasn't working and i was like this is coach erickson it's like and i'm just like yay yay look great my dad who i love and you know and and loves me and then look my coach who cares about me too yay i feel supported i feel great i feel good on the court because of him um and he and it's almost like just there's so much noise and chaos going around you. And I was like, eh, it doesn't matter because at least I'm here because I'm going to get out of this what I want to get out of it. But that's, I know that it's a very unique thing for me. Um, and that takes a lot of strength and awareness 
and not a lot of kids or adults will really even have that capability it's definitely something that has to be learned and instilled i think at a young age but definitely my parents just such a positive environment when it came to when it came to me i never wanted anything i got all of it in a very spoiled way but also in a way that showed me you got to do your work put in work and i remember hell it was probably like the third grade when I started getting like some B's and C's or something, they're like, nah, this ain't this ain't it. Well, here, you get a twenty you get twenty bucks for every A. I've had a four oh cents. And and so I've got that money, you will get rewarded when you do well. And so it just started it just from that moment on, like that was just always that's still in my head, right? Like you will be rewarded. It may not be monetarily, it can be a good experience because currency is no longer just dollars and cents. We know that in technology now, we know that in social, we know that in everything. We and experiences. And even going back to brands and parents, I think the relationships. We've currency is value. So I valued a good home. I valued um, good experiences. I valued my coach. I would run a wall through them, like you said. So those things matter more than just as much as the things in my wallet that we can swipe with. So the parents element definitely equally as important and they were or as important and definitely, you know, just helped helped mimic and just added. And they're like, oh yeah, well, tell Coach Erickson, well, what about this? Like, you got to watch Malone now, too, because now he's now he's power forward and blah, blah, blah. And so it was, it was a good one-two punch, no pun intended, um, between the parent dynamic and the coach, but it definitely rolled over into each other, where what my coach said I would bring home, what my dad said I'd brought to him. They're like, now, Coach E, he said that Shaq actually, like, so going back and forth. And it was, that's why it was a good experience for me, and it was never about the record. Uh, and then you know, I, I'll just say this: Can you imagine that times twelve or times fifteen? Oh, if, you, if you can, if you can do that, and then the, what? Yeah. How that becomes infectious, and then the foundation that you build—that is what—that is a good team culture. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it because it's a shared experience. Culture should be that is that shared experience, right? Because we're all now a part of a community, and it's a lifestyle, and it's something that you can smell, you can taste it, you can feel it. You can dress it, you can hear it, you can walk it, all of those things. Like that is culture. And so when we're talking about a community that is fueled by a certain culture and what that stands for, like that is a shared thing because it's not about the individual. The individual is a part of a greater collective and it's that basking in the reflected glory of others when that is fandom and being, you know, an observant of a community. And so it's, all within that it's just such a, it's richness and connecting in that human experience and that's that's what culture is so we've talked about the the parents we've talked mm. about the coaches but we pick on everybody here on this yeah. podcast and it's time to talk <laughs> equal now. opportunity well we talk about the players now and and one of the things that you said and this is a big part of building that culture because this is the this is where the players responsibility comes in you said quote representation matters who sits at your table, end quote. Mm-hmm. Can you explain? Definitely. Um, one thing that I recognized over the last summer with, um, you know, the 
travesties of, you know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, countless others, Ahmaud Arbery, et cetera, et cetera. And everything kind of shut down. I recognized that, and I think other people did too, the no one no one recognized the importance of sport until it was gone and in that kind of reawakening i a lot of people especially in academic circles that i'm in they've always asked like why are you so interested in sports like isn't that kind of gross and blah 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 and i just kind of rolled my eyes but i recognized too that the reason i love sports entertainment so much is because that's the only space that I can go regularly to find someone who looks like me succeed and praised and applauded and celebrated. Athletes, entertainers, that's it. And, you know, as a black female, that was it. That's the only time I would ever be able to see somebody of color praised and celebrated like that. Couldn't do it in sports. I've, from kindergarten to my PhD, 22 or 23 years of school, I've had three black teachers in my entire life. Four if you include my kindergarten teacher. So I can't say it's in academia. Of course, now we have VP Kamala Harris. Like, hell, that just happened, right? Medicine, academia, vets, librarians, I'm talking everything. And... So representation, when I say representation matters, that just triggered in me, hell, this is why I love so many athletes and their personalities and their characters. And the players, I think now, especially the professional ones, are so much more empowered and recognize that their presence matters and that their voice matters because there are so many others like me and that are attached to this culture and this community that gain esteem, gain agency, gain positivity from being connected psychologically, emotionally, mentally, right? Affiliation. And I think that's why players now are so much more empowered, which I love. They're helping Um, use their voice and their platform to bring awareness to certain things, which I love. And so when we're thinking about how we're putting our table together and that table being those in management and positions of power to help the sustainability of managing a community, you need to make sure that we have different voices in there and different perspectives because our lives are not copy and paste. When I say that I've had like three black teachers, many others try to and then internally just think, okay, how many have I had? Okay, one, uh, two. Or think of the reverse. How many white teachers did you And they're like, oh, like every single one. It's like, great. So that's, think of, we are not all the same. And so the, it's not copy and paste. And so thinking about diversity of perspective is also very, very important. And so making sure that we have systems in place at that table that can provide other areas of thought and things of consideration that we wouldn't have even thought was necessary it wasn't you know you'd sometimes like oh yeah well i never thought it was necessary yeah because it never affected you it never impacted you so because management i think it's all about managing the short term while still making plans for the long term You've got those dual lanes going on right there. And so we have to make sure that there are people of multiple 
ethnicities, multiple communities, multiple perspectives that can bring in things and speak to kids and speak to players at all levels and being able to feel like you just have an outlet that it's safe because all we ever want to do is still just communicate, feel safe in communicating our thoughts, that people hearing me aren't judging and that we're able to have this type of dialogue because the sports space, this community, it's this vessel for social listening and the social listening it's of the players listen to your players listen to your team listen to your employees it's all the same when we're talking about workplace culture some of us work on the court some of us work in a cubicle some of us a lot of us work from home now so do your social listening what are the pain points how can we make it better how can we improve this human experience because again it's this people business thing so representation matters because there are so many that are affiliated and that look up to to sports and players and entertainers and athletes because for me yeah in hindsight i didn't know like that was i wanted to see someone like me praised i didn't watch tennis before serena and venus i didn't watch golf before tiger and these are that's a very common thing i think i've heard a lot i've heard that from a lot of other people of color and so i think that's that's what I mean when in terms like representation matters and sometimes it's just being able to see something different and being able to see the good and the value in all in a lot of us because it's been time where it's been a long time where we haven't where we haven't had that opportunity. Well, I think too what what plays into this is the players the players themselves and here's what I mean. Even on a high, even on a high school level, you know, if you're on a high school varsity team, mm-hmm. you, your representation matters, right? When you're yeah. out in the community, you have kids who are looking up to you already. Totally. I, I mean, I can't help the fact that you're that you're only 16 or 17, but they're looking up to you already. Totally. And so, you know, there were so many times I would drop before before my son was I have two one's one ran cross country he's a theater kid now mm-hmm. he's in college but the other one he's a basketball baseball player and you know I would drop him and his buddies off at the mall before they were all driving you know and the last thing I said because they're all wearing you know you know uh, their high school uh, on their hoodies right mm-hmm. they're with you know North Ridgeville basketball you know it's a, and I said listen guys I said you signed up for this don't be an idiot in there I'm mm-hmm. you know you 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 represent I said you're the ones that if you don't like it then then don't sign up for it but you've signed up for it and people look up to you you res- represent the community you know and this is where representation matters right mm-hmm. and so and to go back to your point if you ever want to be sitting at somebody's table don't yeah. screw up in there right yep you know and so so to me like it all that's where you know it all comes together you know the play and just like and the urban meyer example is a great example because you have a coach there who just he was he just as disconnected as you can out be of his league because a, yeah because if a player came up to him and asked him if they could stay and go to columbus what do you think the answer would have been <laughs> absolutely not you know uh-huh. but 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 again Going back to the players, that's where I think, you know, representation matters and who sits at your table. I think Mm -hmm. if you want to be at somebody's table, you've got to recognize that 
early on that you do want to be at somebody's table one day and let that motivate you. Yes, and chosen leaders. And sometimes, you know, you can be almost like appointed a... Uh, unofficial air quotes I'm doing type of uh, leadership role where just through your voice and through your actions, you've become that go-to, right? When like the ship's going down and then you're like, okay, and people just look over at like the same person. It's like, well, what are we going to do, right? Like you have leaders and you have followers. That's just the way it is. Not everybody needs is, is a leader um, and not everybody, um, you know, has has that capabilities. So when you are a leader, when someone is putting their own Sometimes well-being and their own decisions, they're waiting for somebody else to make the move. That is a huge responsibility. So definitely don't sit there if you don't want it, right? Because it's going to be hard. And it's I've a lot of times in work, I've seen this and, um, and have experienced it, where you're just doing your job and you do it so well. And then it's like, oh, you keep getting like promoted in these types of things. Like That is still a sign of leadership and a player mentality of like, yeah, people will look up to me now. When you're the senior, you're the upperclassman, of course, they're going to watch you start the layup lines. You should be the ones to go out there first. Show up first, leave late or leave last, right? So it's... Yeah, definitely. Those are that's all a part of um, of being a good representative of the culture and of the community that that you're within, especially when you're looking to promote it and yourself. Exactly. I mean, it all it's you know it, they're like you said. You the, this is what I mean. I was so glad I was able to get you because when I you know it is th- these are the ingredients right that yeah. go into you know a good culture, not just uh, you know on a basketball court or you know at volleyball or you know this is this this is across you know into into the business world you know it, definitely it, it, yeah i mean do you see yeah and do you see this and apply this you know to the to the, to your clients in business absolutely absolutely um and i look at the lens of you know within the sports media ecosystem and that being you know all the touch points that you've talked about from players coaches and play, um parents um but then also even just within the larger ecosystem right of like content and marketing and technology and all of this stuff and i always keep it to the you know the dynamics of just the human experience and stuff and in the research that i've done about community psychology and commitment and all of these things loyalty always comes up and i've looked at organizational psychology a lot because just to understand like dynamics of hr and human resources because again we're dealing with people here so like what's what what's our deal and and asking all right what what is loyalty what is what is commitment like what are those ingredients right and there's essentially three things that help define and make up commitment um, emotively, right? So the first one is like affective attachment, which I call like the want factor. Like I want to go to the game. I want to go to practice. I want, you know, um, because of the, the emotional connection that you have to said group. The second is continuance. Like I need to be there. Like, you know what? I'm a senior. I'm captain. I need to be there first. I need to set that good example, right? Or, oh, it's game day. I need to wear, you know, my team's colors because you're thinking about the perceived cost of missing out or not being a part of something. And the third is normative, which is like that should or ought factor. And that one's kind of my favorite because that's like, you know, I have a responsibility. It's like, you know what? Yeah, like I'm the captain. I should be there first. Like I should um, start the lines. I should start, you know, um, 
um, our stretches and our workout and our warm-ups and stuff. Um, well, I should be the one to flip the torn cost. I'm the captain. So it's that having that responsibility. So if you can get somebody to want, need, and feel like they should or feel like they have a responsibility, you've got somebody that's committed. You've got loyalty. And those are, I think, our three ingredients, too, that are super important when talking about, like, this dynamic of, like, team culture and things. And matching values with action again. What are you doing to make people feel like they want to be there, need to be there, and they should be there? That is phenomenal advice. Now, before we wrap up here, before we get to what's the coolest, if people want to get hold of you, to take advantage of the help that you can provide, how do they reach you? TunisiaSingleton.com, my website. You can always reach out there in the contact forms. Twitter is also where I'm the most active on social media. It's at TSingletonSays. Most of the time it's a combination of like live tweeting whatever game is on, um, a cool research article uh, or joke. (laughs) You can get kind of a lot from there. Um, But those two spaces would be the easiest. I also have my own podcast called I Have Questions. So you look that up at at IHQPod um, and IHaveQuestions.com as well. I found you on Twitter. Yeah. So if, I, if, if, a dope, if a dope like me can find her, trust me, the smart people of the world can find her. I promise you. I'm so, not hiding. I'm easy to find. So now, now here's the thing. I love to do what's the coolest at the end. And and whether you're you're a player or a coach, it doesn't matter. Like the, I always ask, what's the coolest place you've ever played, coached, or watched a game? Oh. And it doesn't have to be basketball, right? It doesn't have to be basketball, but okay. I mean, you live in L.A. I, yeah, I live in Vegas now. <laughs> I've I moved. Yeah, now I'm in Las Vegas um, and trying to get tickets to this opening, you know, Seattle Kraken, Las Vegas Golden Knights game, actually, because yeah. I hear there's going to be a show and two cool expansion teams. I, I, I That might be it if you ask me this Wednesday. But um, I think the first, I, two-part answer, the first one that I think in terms of seeing it was the first time I saw pro wrestling live. It was about 1991 or two. It was at the Orange Pavilion in San Bernardino, California. And being able to see, it was being a wrestling fan back then, like, it was almost like you go to a baseball game. You never really sit where your ticket says. You just kind of like a free for all. You go wherever. And I was maybe eight, nine years old running around screaming at the top of my lungs and had the best time of my life watching these larger than life performers like Dusty Rhodes, Macho Man, Shawn Michaels, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, Vader, like give me a break. I had the greatest freaking time and I remember the Bushwhackers like licked my face and Bret Hart put his glasses on me and I was sold. I was like done, pro wrestling fan for life. I'm good. Like this is that that was a huge huge experience for me first um and playing i would say it was definitely i think my senior year we were in a a tournament we were playing in temecula somewhere um and i remember it's kind of a bad thing but not really it wasn't my fault well it was not it wasn't on purpose i'll say but uh it was like a fast break and i was running back um i was a freshman at the time actually and i was running back on the fast break and i this the girl the guard jump stopped to hit a jump shot and my hand went out and my finger poked her in the eye 
and it went into like the first digit of my finger because I remember having to yank and of course she's screaming and she's oh. in pain and I was like oh god like my fault um, I was like my bad are you okay like did I just blind you did I poke your eye out oh my god and she was fine like she you know didn't play the rest of that day or whatever that game um, but this is how ghetto my school was they were like chanting my number at the time I was like Jesus really but I remember the next time we played her or played that team in Temecula um, I saw her and she wasn't mad <laughs> she didn't hate me and of course i had no idea who this was it was like a rival school i had no idea um and i was like are you okay like she came up to me because i didn't recognize her um and it was just a really cool experience um because i thought i felt really really bad and i didn't play the rest of that initial game when i had poked her in the eye because i just felt really like i didn't want to hurt anybody despite liking boxing and punching pillows with socks on um but I just remember feeling like really, really cool playing that and after that and in there because that was just a player moment where I was like, okay, like this is, it's the way, you know, combat sport athletes now, you know, can hug and shake before and after. But in the middle, of, when the door's locked in the cage, like it's on, right? But as soon as the bell rings and it's over, we can all just still slap hands and shake. It's like, oh man, you almost had me there, you know? Like that's... That was kind of like my very elementary version of that. That was a cool kind of experience playing. But see, this is why I love asking the question because I'm telling you, the answers always surprise me. It's, it's you know, <laughs> yeah. it really, I mean, honestly, the answers surprise me like every single time. It's it's just so, you know, and I would, you know, I would, I, we haven't had wrestling yet, you know, but I have to tell you, I was doing, when I was doing radio in Augusta, Georgia, uh, wrestling came to town, and the Nasty Boys were. Oh yeah! And uh, and I interviewed I interviewed a lot of them uh, before Sergeant uh, Slaughter. I think it was Sergeant Slaughter was there, and who Jimmy Hart was there. We talked mm-hmm. to him, but mouth of the, the South, Jimmy Hart. The yeah, thing yeah. the thing I remember the most were the the Nasty Boys sent me to Pity City. I've been to Pity City, <laughs> so and, I mean I will tell you it's not as bad as you might think. <laughs> they they do was, do they use deodorant. Thank goodness. I was gonna ask. I was like. Oh, Oh, that looks so bad. Every time they did that to somebody, I was like, oh, dang. Yeah, I got it. So I have a picture, and it's so funny because I, I was wearing glasses at the time, and it's a great picture of That's me going awesome. to Pity City uh, with the Nasty Boys. But that was a lot of fun. And, um, That's you awesome. Know, and so, but now this, this is, you know, this has been so great. And you know what? I did want to ask you, though, about this. What do you think about this whole uh, NIL, the name, image, yeah. likeness thing, you know, that's happening now in college? And like at Ohio State, we have a kid who basically, you know, he's, he's, passed on you know his see i mean he had enough he, he's passed on the whole experience of his senior year in high school he's had enough he's graduated i mean the, mm-hmm. he took care of the classroom part to his credit but he's passing on the whole thing to go to ohio state and he's already got a million dollar deal you know but what i wonder is you know what could that possibly do and we haven't you know i mean not that we know of right. just yet we're about you know we're halfway through the, the college football season right but but what could that potentially do to team cultures? These guys coming in as freshmen with million dollar deals and yeah. you got seniors who maybe could could that have an effect and where does the coach how does the coach balance mm. that now? That's a whole thing. Yeah. And that's we're waiting to find out what the good and bad instances of it are because I know it will come out. It could be disruptive certainly when especially we're talking about roles and leadership if you're you've been a captain you're established you're a senior you're an upperclassman um and then here comes some you know a freshman with already money right and 
already feeling like they are validated enough and that they don't have to perform maybe as well, that definitely can be uh, a recipe for disaster in terms of making a disruptive and um, a kind of gross locker room experience. So I think... And people, the players individually have to determine for themselves, all right, what am I in here for? We're talking about intentionality with coaches. Players have to, too. And I'm a, I'm, what I would be worried of is if there are more people who just want to play now to get a sponsorship or an endorsement deal as opposed to still being committed to a team or whatever, even an individual sport, right? Yeah. Like That's what I would be afraid of. Like Don't dilute the game just because you want to get paid. Should you have gotten paid and should absolutely we're late on this, but I don't want to see just more instances or instances period of those just coming in for the check and not the game um, and being performative and an example by by playing sport blank and disrupting locker rooms and stuff like that. So for, you know, freshmen who would come in with millions of dollars or something, it's like, cool, but you'd still put out like still show up and put in work and if that was me if I was a freshman with something like that and coming into a locker room where someone might be salty and now where there's could because we're all people like I would be upset too when I find out somebody I'm working with is making more for doing less I'd be like oh excuse me like that's just natural um so but if that was me I know I would be the first one there the last one out I would be putting in extra work. So that's now more behaviors and things that I know I have to be conscious of. It's like, okay, I want to make sure that I am still, that I'm not going to be a problem. Coaches always talk about, you know, just don't be a distraction. Don't be a problem. Nip that at the bud. Don't even make that an issue if that is, if that, if that was me, if that was, if I was the player or the freshman in this instance, it's like now do the op, like don't be a problem, help be a solution, help be a leader. And, and being a leader as an example of good instances of where NIL can be, you know, like this, show us why we've been chanting and needing this for so long, right? Because we've always had instances of, and in, in just in general, of like, oh my God, we, we, we want this, we need this, and then there's a, all of a sudden, like, then it gets perverted or diluted, and there's like, damn it, we can never have anything nice, right? Yeah. It's like, damn, we can't have it. So don't be, don't be that bad example, and that's probably where, you know, if I was going to, you know, be a part of a team and, and coaching and leadership to helping navigate that, it's having those one-on-one conversations with folks to talk about that and really defining, like, what, is it, what does success look like for you? Like, what does it look like? Like, do, or do you just need the money? Is it just that? Because then that can be fine, too. But don't be a bad example and floss and flex and whatever else the kids say, you know, around the others. Because then that's a problem. And then you won't be able to play and make your little YouTube money. Yeah, no, that's it. So I mean, it's, it's like, having yeah. those conversations. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And again, they signed up for it, right? And the coach's right. job doesn't get any easier. So, you it know. It sure is not. When there's more and more money, it's, the yeah. job gets harder. Yeah. And so I, I cannot thank you enough, Dr. Singleton, for coming on with me today Thank and you. talking. I, mean, I, I, could, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I, I just, I just, you know, I love picking your brain and I'd love to have you back someday. I would love it too. Thank you so much. Well, thank, I really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Hey, remember folks, 
Build your players' strengths, find them all a role, and you'll take them all from good to great. You can reach out to me if you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast on Facebook, on Instagram, at Courtside Culture Podcast. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.